I'm going to begin today uh, by reading from God's word, uh, given to us so that we might know him. The passage I'll be reading from comes from Philippians 1, 27 to 18, uh, which is part of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, uh, written at the very beginning of the Christian faith. Philippians 1, 27 to 218. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort in his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with thing to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticise you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. To follow disdain, uh, I am a huge Formula One fan. I got into it back in 2007 uh, when I was a wee 11 years old. Uh, and I love it because it's the pinnacle of motorsports. It has the best cars in the world, the best tracks in the world and the best drivers. 
Now in Formula One, there is something called the golden rule. You see, each team puts forward two drivers to take part, two cars to take part in each race. Their job is to work together and score as many points for the, for the team as a whole and for themselves individually as drivers. But the one rule that they need to always stick by is never, ever, ever crash into your teammate. You can race your teammate for personal glory if you want. You can beat them, but you should never, ever crash into them. It is the ultimate crime. Well, in the 2018 Azerbaijan Grand Prix, two drivers did just that. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, driving for Red Bull Racing, crashed into each other. They had battled for 40 laps beforehand, seeking as many points as they can for their own championship battle and for the team. But they were also battling for pride. They wanted to be the fastest driver in their team, driving their car. They wanted to be the number one. Verstappen overtook Ricardo, and then this is what happened next. Max, I would imagine, not wanting Daniel Ricardo to get anywhere near a slipstream or a He needs toe. to keep him over the left. But he's oh. going to try and dive down. And the inside, they have crashed. They've gone into each other. Daniel Ricciardo, late breaking, couldn't stop in time. Max Verstappen was right in front of him. And the two rebels who have been touching and barging and banging all afternoon have had one bang too many. And this is the replay of Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo. Bottas has won the Grand Prix. Well, two seconds, Paul. We'll go to that in a moment. But look at the two rebels here. Ricardo wanted to go left. Verstappen blocked him off. Thought about going right. Put on the brakes as Vettel comes into the pits. Uh, he was too committed. He was too committed, wasn't he, Danny Rick? The two drivers crashed. Uh, they ruined the race for themselves. They ruined the race for each other. They ruined the race for the team and for the fans of their team who were watching. Ricardo went to pass on the inside, Verstappen moved across in a defensive posture and they couldn't stop in time, crashed into each other and they both got zero points. As is so often uh, common amongst sports people, they were so ambitious but they were selfish and it caused their ambitions to fall apart. You see teamwork was important in that situation and those guys right then weren't good at teamwork. A teamwork is the theme of the passage that I read out for you before. Uh, Paul is encouraging the people at Philippi to be a united team, to be a united church. The Christians at Philippi were under a lot of pressure at that time. Uh, they were a tiny Christian community in a, in a pagan world. They faced constant persecution. They were a people who suffered for their faith. They were holding on to what was right. They were preaching the gospel. But they were experiencing a level of persecution, a level of opposition that you or I have probably never experienced. And Paul encourages them to, to stand together. He tells them to stand together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. They were to withstand the persecution, the opposition, facing them by standing together, united as a team. But they were not just threatened by outside forces. We know from elsewhere in this letter that there was bickering 
going on amongst God people. Good Christians were in intense disagreement with each other and it was causing problems. That's why in verses 3 and 4, Paul tells them how to maintain unity in their church. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. In order to withstand the pressures from outside, he tells that church they need to be united. But in order to be united, they needed to leave selfish ambition at the door. They need to leave it behind. They need to leave behind pride and they need to embrace humility. They need to put others before themselves. Rather than bickering, they really needed to realise that there was a true fight that needed to be fought. And they needed to bind themselves together. That is exactly what Ricardo and Verstappen didn't do. They didn't back the team. Christians are meant to be united in promoting and preaching the gospel to the people around us. But that will only happen if we love one another and then, with humility, look out for each other's interests above our own. If we prioritise our own interests, we will tear the church apart. It will buckle under the pressure laid against it. Now, this all seems like some fairly sensible advice. You know, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Sensible stuff. And yes, humility is something that's necessary. Love is something that's necessary in order to maintain unity. But Paul does not just leave it there. He drops a humdinger of a statement. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So you might smile, you know, in agreement when I urge humility in the church. That's obviously a good thing. You know, you might agree with me that we need to form a loving community. Who would disagree with that? You might nod along to suggestions at, at, at unity when these things are abstract concepts. These are, these are ideas. But to truly understand what humility means, to truly understand what it means to place others in front of ourselves, we need to look to Jesus Christ himself, who perfectly modelled these things. We need to look to scripture. And in scripture it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took up the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now, Jesus Christ is God. He is what's called the, the second person of the Trinity. Along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, Christians hold that Jesus is God, united with them, yet distinct. Yet, though he was God, separate from creation, whole and perfect, transcendent and ruling over all creation with his Father in heaven, he did not cling to that status. When he saw the world in need, he was willing to come down to help us. From the highest heaven he came down to earth. He gave up 
his privileges. That's what it says. And he lived amongst us in the dirt and in the squalor. From great riches, he became a humble carpenter. Then he subjected himself to death on the cross, obeying his father in heaven and taking our sins upon himself. That is humility. That he humbled himself to lift others up. To serve his father. That he gave his life so that we could live. When Paul encourages us to be humble. When Paul encourages us to love and to put others in front of ourselves. He points to Christ as the ultimate model of the person we should be imitating. So when we view some jobs as beneath us, uh, when our noses are put out out of joint because we are called to put away some chairs when other people get to be elders, preachers, lead Sunday school, Paul would point to Christ who took the lowest place, the place of a condemned criminal, out of obedience to God and love for us. Christ did not consider it above his station to die for the filthiest of our sins. How, in response to that, can we be anything but humble? I mean, your claim to glory is infinitely smaller than Christ's, because you're not God. Any claim I have, like, any claim I have to to, to glory, because I get to preach on a Sunday, any claim that any of the leaders have to glory and pride because they lead this church, any claim that any of us have to pride, just seems a bit rubbish when it's looked at in that perspective. When Christ, who was above everything, was willing to humble himself so that we might be where we are now, so that others might be saved. Paul calls for us to pause, to reflect on Christ. The cross is the means by which we are saved. Uh, Christ took the sins of people upon himself uh, so that he could suffer the punishment for those sins. Uh, Through the cross, those who come to Christ can be saved. But the cross is not something that's left behind after we've become Christians. Christ is not a gateway into heaven, a get out of jail free card. The reality is the gospel, the good news, how we are saved should change everything about how we live. God, who is the ultimate good, humbled himself even to death upon the cross, so those who follow him can have no reason to be proud. And as we pause and as we meditate upon the cross, our hearts should be warmed and our characters shaped. Now do not misunderstand me here. Paul is not hanging up a picture of Jesus and saying, we should up our games and be like that guy. he, if, if he was, if he was doing that, he would just be setting us up for disappointment. Because Jesus, that's too high a bar for me to meet on my own. I, I can't be as good as Jesus just by trying hard. 
it would be like Paul taking us to, to watch the Olympics and then expecting us to do as good a job as the athletes do. It's as if Paul took us to watch Usain Bolt run 100 metres in 10 seconds and then he turned to us and said, you should do the exact same thing that bloke just did. This, this may come as a bit of a surprise to you because uh, it's tactfully disguised underneath this hoodie, but I do have a little bit of a belly. I believe that I'm carrying weight that Usain Bolt does not have to carry. Okay? My legs, compared to him, are spindly little chopsticks. I can give it 100 metres a go. I can run 100 metres. I can do that. But I'm not going to run as fast as he does. And just like I lack the physical fitness of Usain Bolt, I lack the moral strength of Jesus Christ. No. Uh, what Paul is saying is that as we reflect and seek to imitate Christ, God himself will give us the strength to do so. God himself will gradually change who we are. He will gradually mature our personalities. He will sanctify us so that we will do what he wants. This is revealed in verse 12 and 13 of the passage, where it tells us, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. This verse reveals that Paul wants us to obey God, but that God is transforming us to help us do that. Paul points to Christ. He urges us to imitate him. He says that is the ultimate model, but he makes it clear we can't do that by ourselves. We need God in us, transforming us every day. We cannot imitate him by our hard work. If you do that, you'll fail. Instead, we should obey Working hard in doing so, but trusting that God too is working in our hearts and giving us the ability. Do you want to be humble? Do you want to be loving? Do you want to be united as a church? Then look to the humility of the cross, reflect on Christ and embrace the work that God is doing. So here's what we've learned so far. Paul calls Christians to unity. A unity that can only be found when we show the same sort of humility and love that Christ showed. He tells us that God is at work in us, building that love day by day, and calls us to always reflect on that humility displayed at the cross. Now, this might not surprise you because of the uh, aforementioned belly, uh, but I'm not a fan of triathlons. I'm not a very good swimmer. I can cycle. I like to run. But put them all together, I would die in one of those three tasks. And I have a, I have a hearty respect for those people who are a fan of triathlons, who do get involved, or even watch that sort of stuff. I'm a Formula One man myself, because in Formula One, not only do the spectators get to sit down, but so do the athletes. Yet, I did take note of uh, September 2016, uh, the finale of the Triathlon World Series that year. Uh, the Brit, uh, Johnny Brownlee, was leading the triathlon. He was 700 metres away from the end 
of the race. He just, it was the end of a 10k run and he was, he was 700 metres away from winning. Uh, the South African Henry Schumann was just behind him and behind Henry Schumann was Alistair Brownlee, Johnny's brother. The conditions were hot, they were humid. Johnny was clearly exhausted, he was dehydrated and he was starting to struggle. Uh, he, he tried desperately to reach the finish line but it gradually became clear he wasn't going to make it. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing... He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here. Alistair grabbed his brother and he dragged him across the finish line. Now Johnny didn't win uh, and losing that race, coming second in that race, meant that he, he, he lost the world championship. He came second in it. But he would never have finished if his brother hadn't stepped in. To wildly paraphrase Paul, we need to be less like the Red Bull racing team in 2018 and more like the Brownlee brothers in 2016. Unfortunately, the church tends to look a lot like the Red Bull racing team. Often, we can be selfish. Not all the time. Not even necessarily the majority of the time. But often. If you look at the church in the world uh, around it, you, you will see local congregations that are damaged by people's selfishness. Not destroyed, necessarily, but damaged. You, you, you may see or hear story of, of worship leaders who treat church like a concert, as if their talent was what was on display, not something that was just meant to help them worship God. You hear stories of worship leaders who have abandoned worship and have just become pop stars. You will see examples and you will hear stories of preachers that crave fame, that grab attention and are willing to distort what the Bible says or just not take the Bible seriously 
so that they can preach a message that people enjoy hearing, that, in comfort, that comforts the people who are listening, rather than challenging them. They have abandoned truth for popularity. You will see uh, pastors, elders, church leaders, uh, wanting their church to be big and powerful, not so that Jesus might be glorified, but so that those pastors, elders and church leaders might have status. They are tempted to micromanage everything, get angry at those who let them down, follow the, 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 the most recent business techniques to grow their church as big and powerful as quickly as possible. They're easily frustrated. They, they are willing to abandon a church if they believe it boosts their own career. And in doing so, they abandon servant leadership. And they embrace success in the world. If you look in the world, you will see churches that are big and successful, that want to be big and successful, that undercut the ministry of the churches around them, that undercut the ministry of other good Bible-believing churches. They refuse to work together, not because there's any theological problem with other church, not because the church isn't doing something that's wrong, but because they are competitive, because they want to compete with the other church, rather than found ministries that will work with them or complement what that church is doing. Even more so than that, you have a low level of constant bickering and complaining about things. You have complaints, you have hurts, that are not caused by any legitimate problem, of which there are plenty, but by people's pride being hurt, by people whose focus are their own interests. Now, in all those examples, that the people involved are Christians. They, they do follow God. They are eager to serve him. But their motivation, motivations are a little skewed. They are not entirely, completely loyal. Parts of them are selfish. Uh, they, they, they want success for themselves, they want to look good, they want to make money, they want to have power. And, and that sort of thinking can so easily creep into the church and into our hearts. And not just for leaders. Everyone is vulnerable to that. All of us do it. All of us, from time to time, place ourselves first place our interests above others, have some form of selfish ambition that holds back the church a little bit. But here's the thing. In today's world, we are facing pressure from all around. The gospel is not popular. Personally, I don't think it ever has been. And the moral truths that we teach are not seen as that much fun. We need to stand united in this moment. Something that cannot be achieved if we are selfish and prioritise ourselves over others. Instead, we must follow the example of Christ, seeking humility and love and trusting God to grow us as we do. Amen.